0: Let me say what a joy it is to be back with you at Calvary Baptist Church and to be back with Donna. Thank you for the opportunity to come and be with you. Uh, I don't need to tell you what a wonderful pastor you have and what a wonderful leader she is, not only for you here at this church, but for all of us in Virginia Baptist Life. Uh, We look to her for leadership, and I don't mean that just in kindness. I mean that in truth. And we look for her for wise counsel. And just that sweet spirit that I hope exudes who we are as Virginia Baptists in a very unsweet time. So thank you for not only who you are, but what you model for the rest of us to be. It's a joy just to be here. And to come on a Sunday when you're talking about money. (laughs) Wow, what an assignment. And to come and talk about offertory and talk about stewardship. Well, you think anybody has finance on their minds these days? You think there could be a topic any more timely than the topic that we're about to discuss uh, and you have been preparing for through music and song? And now as we come to a reflection on God's word and as we'll go to dinner and even reflect even more, could there be a time when we as a family of God should take more time and reflect on what all this means this, this thing called money and its place in our life, its place in our worship, this, this whole subject is, it's gotten so out of hand that even countries are going bankrupt now in the world. I don't know about you. I think it's time to really weigh in on, the, on this subject and weigh in on it deep. Because a concern I have is that we in the church model no better way to manage ourselves than the world outside the church. And we have lost in a period of incredible crisis in our country. We have not modeled a better way of being managers of our resources. And so we have lost a witness edge, a moral edge. And I think it's time that we regain that edge. If anyone ought to take the lead in the midst of this crisis, it ought to be the people of God. We know better how to manage than anyone else, any money manager, anybody in the world. We know how to prioritize the use of our resources, including our dollars. So I'm glad to have the opportunity to really come and talk straight from my heart with you today about what it really means, this thing come offering, and this thing called worship and what they have to do with one another, and really look at it honestly right now. And try to be transparent with you, but hoping that something in this will transform us to offer society a better way to go than the way we've gone. So let me start with kind of an old joke I've heard many years ago. You may have heard it. If you have, I apologize. But the joke's about an airplane. And this airplane is flying at a high altitude. And suddenly, the engine fails. And the airplane just takes a steep dive. And it's heading straight towards the ground. Needless to say, one of the passengers, in a panic, stands up and screams, Is there a man of God on board? And one gentleman steps forward and says, I'm a gentleman of the cloth. And the passenger says, We're all going to die. We're all absolutely scared to death. Can't you do something religious here? And the man thinks a minute, and he says, Certainly. He takes up an offering. Now, that's not particularly a good joke. It's actually kind of a sad joke. But what that joke does do is it does express the feelings that's attached to this business of taking up offering in church. I mean, some people think that's really what the church is only interested in anyway. I mean, I have. I heard that a time or two. And, Don, I bet you have, too. Uh, the church is only interested in getting your money. I mean there's even been a country song written about this. I don't know who sings it, but the lyrics go something like this that on the TV, on the TV the the evangelist says we ought to give God our money. The only problem is he gives us his address. <laughs> and so there's this suspicion that that's all the church has been interested in is in people's money and And exploiting them. There are those who feel that the offering isn't quite that sinister. But they sort of experience the moment of offering when we're taking up the money as a semi-tacky interruption in what would otherwise be an uplifting occasion. It's just kind of tacky that we have to do this. Then there are those who think that taking up an offering is just simply good business. It's what you've got to do in order to pay the bills. I mean, somebody's got to pay the bills around here. And so we have to take up an offering. And I guess enough bad things have happened regarding offering and money and the church that any bad attitude is almost justified. I don't want to put folk down too fast with that. But the truth is, The meaning of offering in worship, the true meaning, is such a far cry different than its reputation. The true meaning. And the truth about offering, in my opinion, is staggeringly surprising. Let me tell you what the truth is. Here it is. I'll give it to you right up front. The whole reason... We are here week by week at Calvary Baptist Church. The whole reason you come every Sunday, the whole reason anybody attends any Christian worship, in my opinion, regardless of where you are, regardless of your style, regardless of your age, regardless of, your, of anything, the whole reason we come week by week in worship is to simply do this, to make an offering. It's the whole point of worship. Now, passing the plate isn't the main event, but I will say this. It is the main symbol. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. Because let me tell you what worship is. Worship is our answer to God who has given us everything. It's our answer back. And how can we worship without giving everything back to God? I mean, worship is summed up in the word sacrifice. We present to God ourselves in worship. All that we are. All that we have. All that we've done. All that we have ever, ever dreamed. We come here on Sundays. And we make it an offering. Remember Abraham and Isaac? Now there's an offering for you. God, had Abraham having to place Isaac on the altar. But you know what that story really is saying. That our offering is our way of saying that of all the altars in the world, we're going to place our life on the altar of God. Sacrifice sums up worship. But I want you to get your bulletin. you have your bulletin? Get your bulletin right now. I want to walk through it with you. Because everything we do in worship is an offering. Start at the very beginning with the prelude and the chimes and the welcome and the intro. That opening praise, isn't that an offering to God? Isn't praise offering something back to God? Even that's an offering. Move on down to where we just had the confession And that moment of silence and the assurance of forgiveness. That in itself, the confessions, the petitions, the intercessions. You know what that is. We're offering to God our deepest heart's desires. A friend with cancer. Do I have any greater heart's desire than to pray for my friend who's fighting cancer and fighting for her life? I may quietly sit in my pew, but I want to tell you that's not a quiet moment in my soul. I'm offering to God my deepest heart's desire for my friend or another friend who has lost his job and doesn't know how he's going to have the support that he needs for his family. I pray for my friend. I pray for my friends who are couples who are struggling with going through marital difficulties and their, their whole home is in chaos that is my heart's desire. I offer to God my heart's desire. These confessions of our sin that's not just ours individually, but ours corporately, that gets us into the financial mess that our country's in right now. I worry about that. People are losing their jobs right now. People are scared. People in retirement have nothing, they've lost their retirement. I just don't casually say these words. It's an offering back to God from the deepest places in my soul that I know. And then every Sunday, your pastor stands up here and she preaches. You do know that she works hard all week to bring you her best words. But it's more than just words she's bringing to you or something to say. She's bringing you her best words because she knows that as she stands in this pulpit, she's offering you her best words in the presence of God. Her sermon is an offering, hoping that your thoughts, that your hearts, that your lives are going to be offered with her words in worship Back to God again. And then there's clearly that offertory at the end of the sermon. And that offertory is is in the service, that moment in the service when we have sort of a hymn of response. We'll have it in a few minutes. And we'll have an opportunity to make a public display of any private decision that we've made. We will re-offer ourselves. It's an offering. Even the invitation is a moment to reoffer ourselves back to God. To rededicate ourselves back to our faith in Christ again. To publicly profess that we're going to join Christ and his endeavors in this world. And when at the end of the service, if anyone should come forward in any kind of way, what are they doing? They're making an offering of themselves to God. Every moment of genuine worship. Is an offertory moment. But there is a moment in the service we call offertory. It's right here, right after the sermon, if you'll look. It's offertory. Now, two things generally in a Baptist church accompany the offertory one is music, is made, and number two, a plate. We just saw the children hadn't handle the plates. There's a plate involved. Let me talk about music first and this thing called offertory. Believe it or not, offertory music, let me tell you what it's not for. When Mark plays back here during the offertory time, let me tell you, he is, the purpose of his playing is not to create elevator music or dentist office music. He's not trying to fill dead space. Am I right, Mark? Absolutely. He's not trying to fill dead space. Number two, he's not trying to cover up all the clatter and the play. That's why they have those little cushions in the bottom there. He's not trying to cover up all the clatter and the play. He's also not playing that music so that when the folk, the deacons, take up the offering in a little bit, that they don't have music to boogie to. That's not why he's playing that. That would be kind of an interesting Sunday to see some of the deacons boogie. As they take up the offering. That might be kind of fun. But that's not what he's doing. What's Mark doing when he plays the music at the offertory time? I'll tell you what he's doing. That's his personal offering. There's years behind every time he gets behind that organ. That's his musical gift. That's his personal gift, given to God in our presence. Isn't that an incredible gift that we get to have? But it's even more than that. His music, I've already heard it, has excellence in it. That reminds us that everything that we would give to God ought to be worthy and have excellence in it, right? Not just his offering, Our offering ought to have excellence in it. Many hours of practice and discipline he's demonstrated to make the music that he makes on that very complicated instrument that's right behind me right now. Ought to remind us that any gift that we would give God ought to come with a cost. It can't come without sacrifice and it can't come without a cost. It always requires a cost to us. And that music has beauty to it. And that reminds us that the beauty of God's gifts to us ought to mean that every gift we give back to him ought to have beauty in it. Do your gifts have beauty in them? Do they cost you something? Is there a sense of excellence in the way that you give what you give? So, how do you listen to Mark when he's playing or when the choir is singing during the offertory? How ought we listen? I'll tell you what I think. You don't listen as if you're an audience listening to a concert. That's not what you do. Truth is, you're the orchestra, you're part of the orchestra. And it's like all of us are in the orchestra, and when Mark sits there and he plays, he's playing a concerto. He's playing a solo while the rest of us are around him, giving him support as he gives us his best offering at that moment. And we're a part of his orchestra. And when he's finished with his solo, we will all rise in some kind of thunderous kind of harmony. And we'll sing as the orchestra our doxology. He's not playing by himself. He's playing in our midst. And we're part of the orchestra. So in this moment of worship, week after week, let the music lift you. Let it lead you. Let it engage you as you make your offering to God in those plates. So let's talk about the plates. That's the music that leads us to the plate, that helps us engage with the plate. So let's talk now for a moment about the plate. Because as that plate comes around and as we place that money in the plate, what is happening there? Well, we could simply say, and we heard that said to the children so beautifully just a moment ago, It does support the work of the church. I mean, we've got to keep the building open for all the many ministries and happenings and and purposes of this building. We need to keep this building going. It provides for the pastor and for the staff and Sunday school literature and all of that. It keeps missionaries on the field. It keeps some of us in Richmond working, by the way. Thank you very much. I do appreciate that. It keeps chaplains in the jails. Which wouldn't be there without offering without that offering plate in Virginia. You do know the only state in the Union. And that's because the separation of church and state and I applaud it. We're the only state that doesn't fund chaplains in prisons. The church provides that, you with that plate. Much less college students and starting Campus ministries and all the things I could. It does all of that. But you know that. I, what I want to do right now is take you to a deeper place. You ready to go to a deeper place with this now? Of course it does all that. But let me tell you the real thing that happens with that plate. What you put in that plate is a symbol. It's a symbol of you. symbol of me. Now, the saddest thing I know that's happened in the Western mind, and we're seeing the consequences of it every time you look at the stock market right now, is that we have lost, we've had a tragic loss with a sense of symbols. We actually believe in this country now that things are simply things. That if you just spend more than you have, it's just a thing. That if a nation spends more than it can afford, it's just a thing. Truth is, a thing is never a thing. It always stands for something else. Always. And that's why things can be so dangerous. And that's why things can have such incredible power. Our things are powerful things that have deep meaning to them. We've known this all along. Since the first person ever felt the need to worship, we've always been bringing something that expresses ourselves in worship, right? I mean, in the early days, in the beginning, there was sheep. There were ox. There was grain. There were grapes, I'm pause here for a little station identification because I do need to say this. The emphasis on giving can get perverted. And we see how it can get perverted. In those primitive days, it got so perverted that instead of bringing sheep and ox and grapes and grain, what they brought was their children. And they sacrificed them. Now, we're not without our own versions of that today. We're just as capable of perverting the gift. We can get the offered thing wrong. How do we do that? Whenever we bring our gift to placate an angry God, that's perversion. Anytime we bring our gift to make a bargain with God, that's perversion. Anytime we bring our gift to buy a blessing... And folks, I see that on TV every Sunday. That's a perversion. But beyond that, now back to the real thing. The instinct that we have in worship to bring a thing of expression. That instinct is deep, it's powerful, and it's true. God doesn't need what we bring. You and I know that. He doesn't need it. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He doesn't need anything. And scripture is pretty clear on that. So why do we bring it if he doesn't need it? Because he knows we have to bring it for us. We have to bring it. Because that gift is a symbol of us. And what we value. And what we're committed to. And what we're living for. That gift is really a symbol of us. And he knows we have got to bring that. Because it will define who we are. Whether if you bring a sheep, scripture says, don't bring just any sheep. Don't bring a lame one or an ugly sheep. You bring the healthiest one you got. Because it's going to say something about you. Don't, don't just bring leftovers. Because this is telling your life. And you don't want your life to communicate that. When in worship, when we bring our money, it's talking and telling about us. It's either telling of a great love that we have within us. Or it's telling of a very selfish ...lame love that we have within us. It's either telling of joy and delight... ...or it's telling of calculation or fear. It's telling of an openness of life to God... ...or it's telling of a life lived with a clenched fist. Do you see how important it is that gift we bring... ...as a symbol of where we are in our lives... And your your gift does something else too. Not only is it a symbol of you, it does something else. And let me tell you what that something else is. As you give, that gift will transform you. And that's a crazy thing. Some people say, if I had better faith, I'd probably give a better gift. That's totally wrong. If you give a better gift, I'll tell you what happens. You'll find a better faith. It's the way it always works. You want a deeper faith? Give a deeper gift. You want a better faith? Give a better f- gift. You want deep love in a relationship? Then give deep love in a relationship. It's how it works in everything in life. You see, our heart and our behavior are in some kind of dance in life. And what I've discovered is when my behavior takes the lead with my heart, a miracle happens. My heart falls in line with my behavior. And I'm transformed into something different and into something new. So the gifts we set before God, get this. Now, this is a miracle. Somehow or another becomes strangely gifts to our own souls. Wow. A generous giver. Isn't it amazing how they become a generous person? A generous congregation. It's amazing how it becomes generosity in the community that we live. So Paul says, we read it. If you plant sparingly, you're only going to reap sparingly. If you plant bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And you will bring a smile to your face. So the children of God, when they give their best gifts, they are a hilarious, cheerful giver. Now I saw this when I pastored in Urbana. I didn't actually see it personally. I was sitting in an angle that the pulpit prevented me from seeing it. But I was told at the end of the service, after all the laughter, and I absolutely had no opportunity to preach because the congregation was already gone. They were having too much fun. Forget the preacher up there. We just had a great moment. You know what it was? We were taking up the offering. Now, isn't that an exciting moment in a worship service? How did that take over? Well, what happened was little Sarah, three or four years old, Sitting by her mother. Her mother did exactly what we saw a few moments ago. Giving her some coins. Put it in her pocket. So when the offering plate comes by, Sarah. You put that in the offering plate. Trying to teach her stewardship. How to give. Well as the offering plate came down the row. She tried to get in her little dress pocket. But it was all folded in ways. She couldn't get to her money in time. And by the time she got to her money. It had already gone past her and gone on down the row. But little Sarah was not going to be neglected she finally got that money scooted out of her chair and started walking past all the knees so everybody started moving their knees as little sarah came on by and they didn't know what she was doing just an active three or four year olds what they thought otherwise they'd have probably have stopped the plate but they didn't it just kept going on down the aisle and sarah kept following the plate when it got to the end of the row the person of the Passing out the offering, got the plate, took it to the next row. Not Sarah, not going to be stopped by that. No way. Curved that corner, got right in the next row. Other people didn't see her coming. She was climbing over laps. (laughs) Even got up, stood on one gentleman's lap and stepped across three laps. till she got over, got down on the floor and started following the plate. Dad finally decided that he needed to stop this. So he got up, told the gentleman at the end of the row, could you please just hold that plate for a minute? And Sarah finally made her way to it. She jumped for it, did a slam dunk, put her money into it, went back, sat next to mom and dad, and just took a deep breath. She was exhausted, but triumphant. (laughs) But listen, if we knew half, if we knew half, Of what our gifts really mean. We'd be just that eager to give them. We really would. We would be just that relentless to give them. Because they symbolize us. And we'd let them shape us. Into what and who we should become. That's what we do. All of worship is an offering. It defines us. It shapes us into the people of God. And so right now, I'm going to invite you to make an offering. An offering of yourself. Where you are. All that you are. All that you can become. Will you make an offering now and finish this sermon? God bless you.